This evening is the second letter to Timothy. We'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Homogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Irina Sendler was a Polish human rights activist in the 20th century. Being born in Warsaw, she lived her childhood years with her father working as a physician in a local small town. He primarily cared for the poorest people in the community, many of whom were Jewish. When her father died when she was just seven years old, the Jewish community came around their family and showed them support by giving to them financially and giving them the assistance, creating a bond between Sendler and the Jewish people. Sendler began her humanitarian work in university, and upon graduating from this work, began to work for the Department of Social Welfare in Warsaw. She was serving in this job when, in 1939, World War II started. On the 1st of September 1939, the German authorities who were occupying Poland ordered that all of Warsaw's Jewish citizens be thrown into a certain area in town. This led to 400,000 Jews being pushed into a ghetto with the Nazis sealing them off in that area. As an activist and a lover of the Jewish community, Sendler's heart broke for these people. Health rapidly then began to decline inside of this ghetto, with typhus being the worry of the Nazis. To fight against the spread of typhus, the Nazis allowed special permits for certain individuals who were working for the social welfare department to access the ghetto and check and treat for typhus. Sendler was one of those few individuals, allowing her to serve the Jewish people who she cared for. But slowly along with the medication that she was bringing into the ghetto, 
Settlers started sneaking in, sneaking in clothing, food, and other necessities that were needed. But not only that, she is most well known for the actions that she, that she did by smuggling Jewish children and babies outside of the ghettos. Once they were outside, she would provide them with false identification, either as a child of a willing Polish family or as someone who belonged to a local orphanage. With each child, she recorded their names in a list. She gave them a fake Christian name to go by and wrote down the current location of that child. Because of her efforts, it is estimated that she smuggled out a total of 2,500 children from the Warsaw Ghetto, helping them to escape dying in the Holocaust. Sendler's efforts were, went unnoticed for a very long time, but she was eventually arrested by the Gestapo in October 1943. She was able to hide her list of children with a friend and then went on to endure many beatings and intense interrogations. Her loyalty to the people that she had spent so much effort saving never wavered, even to the point where she was threatened with execution. However, in January 1944, on the way to her execution, the guards who were watching her were bribed, and she was released from custody. But then, just a couple of months later, in April 1944, she was back to working in the welfare department, this time in a field hospital where a number of Jews were hidden among other patients. Irina Sendler's life shows us that conviction shapes action. Despite facing death, Sendler stood firm and unashamedly worked for the cause in which she believed in. There was, no, there was no threat or act of violence that could be done against her that would shake her from this cause and stop her from doing this work that she had so clearly believed in. Sendler held the conviction that Jews were being mistreated and that no man should be treated in this way. So she put herself into action and saved so many lives as a result. You see, for the Christian... Our actions in life should also be shaped by our convictions. And that conviction is that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. In the Bible, we are commanded to do so many things. We are, so, we are commanded to be and care with the orphan and the widow. We are commanded to visit the sick. We are commanded to be near to the brokenhearted and show grace and mercy like our Lord has shown to us. All of our actions are motivated by the conviction that Jesus has shown us love and grace beyond all measure, and that should move us to do great and selfless things for others, just as Jesus has done for us. This conviction, this belief, is something that we as Christians are meant to hold with a firm grip. For all of the law is summarized in loving God, and loving others. But I would be lying if I said that there, was, that there will not be times in our lives where we will start to lose this grip on this conviction. The world around us starts to ridicule us and shame us for, the, for our beliefs in what is right 
and wrong. Those who we call our own dearest family and friends will look down upon us because we hold the gospel in such high regard. This is where our enemy will then take every and any opportunity to make us feel ashamed for this conviction. Satan will try to chip away at your foundational beliefs. And soon enough, your tight grip on the gospel has turned into an open palm. But Paul's advice here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is the perfect response to fight against the shame that our enemy tries to use against us. Remember from our previous study when we looked at the the beginning of 2 Timothy that Timothy was most likely somewhat of a timid person lacking confidence to meet God's call. So to encourage him, Paul writes this letter and declares boldly to him, do not be ashamed of the gospel. So as we study 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18, we will look at what it means to not be ashamed of the gospel. Our outline tonight will follow, will follow this outline for tonight. We'll see, number one, Paul argue why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Number two, how we fight against this shame. And number three, an example of shame conquered. Let's look together first at why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Look with me again at verses 8 through 12. Paul writes, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, after telling Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God and continue growing in his spiritual life, Paul encourages Timothy to remain confident in the midst of the circumstances in which Timothy and Paul both find themselves in. As a reminder, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy while he sits imprisoned in Rome. God has also made it known to Paul that his life would soon be coming to an end. So Paul decides to pass on on some words of encouragement to his spiritual son before he leaves. Timothy, right now, as, as he would be receiving this letter, was serving as a pastor in Ephesus. And we know from the rest of this letter that the church was, was facing a number of problems in the false teachers who were coming against them. So both Paul and Timothy were in tough circumstances in their own individual situations, which is why then it is, it is so much more surprising and also satisfying That Paul's advice in their circumstances is to not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. 
but to share in the sufferings of the gospel. To the earthly mind, this advice seems incredibly countercultural. When we are faced with suffering, our world says to us that we should focus on self-love or self-care, seeking to lift up ourselves and honor ourselves in the midst of hardship. But Paul's words, written here in our Bibles by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is advice that we must take to heart. In the midst of our persecution and our suffering, we should not be ashamed of the gospel, but should, be, but should share in, in the suffering for the gospel. What reasons then does Paul give to us and to Timothy for this jarring advice? We see the answer in verse 9. It is because our God has saved us and he has called us. You see, by God's power alone, we have escaped the punishment of our sins. We had, before we knew Christ, before we knew God, we had incurred for ourselves a debt that we could never even dream to pay off. But God, in the riches of his mercy, has offered to us grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death, our debt is paid and we have been set free from the chains that once held us. We are made free in Christ and can conquer the consequences of sin by his power alone. Salvation has been given to us as people, people who never even deserved it. This is the good news that our God has given to us. That all who call Jesus Lord will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. And there is a reason why we call this the good news of the gospel. You see, death, the problem that all of humanity throughout all of history has faced, that death has been defeated Salvation as a free gift is the best news that any person could receive, regardless of age, regardless of gender, culture, ethnicity, fill in the blank. Jesus has, as verse 10 describes for us, he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The good news of the gospel is the best news that humanity could ever receive. God has saved us, which is something that should move us to joy and not to shame. But our God has not only saved us, he has called us to share this good news with others as well. The fact that our God has saved us and has given us new life is not something that we are meant to heap and keep, up, keep just for ourselves. But once we have heard this good news, and once we are changed by the power of Christ, we are called to be ambassadors for the gospel throughout the rest of our lives, pointing people to the cross of Christ and encouraging them to take steps towards the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. Think about how we as people process good news in our lives. Whenever we receive news about a new job or about a raise, whenever there's a pregnancy, whenever we reach an achievement that we've been working so hard for, 
We are inclined to share this good news with other people, particularly those who we feel closest to in our lives. For example, when I was preparing to come here to Hoylake, it was at my missionary assessment in Orlando. As soon as I received my approval from my missions organization that I was going to be able to come to the UK for two years, the first person I called was Hugh because I couldn't wait to share with him the news that I was coming back to Hoylake for two years and celebrate with him. A similar thing happened when Rebecca and I were engaged. We systematically called all of our close friends and family and told them the good news that we were engaged so we could celebrate with them and they could partake in the joy that we were feeling. Now imagine I hadn't reacted those ways in both of these situations. Imagine if I had reacted with indifference when I received approval from my missions organization. Would it look like I should be a missionary if I wasn't passionate about my approval to go overseas? Or imagine if I hadn't been excited to be engaged. That might just be one of the biggest relationship red flags imaginable. (laughs) As if I wasn't excited about engagement, then you could be sure that I wouldn't have a good attitude towards marriage as well. Good news is something that we as people always want to share with others. And our attitudes towards good news reflect how good we think that news is. And salvation in Christ is the best news that we could ever receive. And our actions then need to reflect that this is the best news. That is why Paul says that we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel We are called to share the gospel because it is good news to all people. For Paul in particular, his calling to share the gospel was by being a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. He was willing to walk away from his place higher up in the hierarchy of Judaism in order to take on this humble role of a preacher of the gospel. His cushy lifestyle that he once had was left behind in exchange for shipwrecks, in exchange for lashings, in exchange for chains. And not only did Paul make this choice to answer God's calling, but he confidently made this choice, knowing that it was all for God's glory. And not only that, but Paul knows and acknowledges that God is with him in the midst of this suffering. Paul will not be ashamed because he believes and is convinced that the Lord will be with him in every step of this calling. Why then should we not be ashamed of the gospel? We should not be ashamed of the gospel because our God has made the good news of the gospel known to us and has saved us by it. And then he has called us to make this good news known to the world around us. Our God has saved us. Our God has called us. And our God is with us. This should make us, this should move us away from shame and help us to embrace a holy confidence, unable to be shaken by anything the world can throw at us.
So let me ask you this question then. How do you feel about the gospel? Has the gospel created in you a sense of urgency to share it? And it has given you a sense of confidence to do the work that, that our God has called you to? Or have you been meek in your gospel proclamation and presentation, letting shame stop you from being a good ambassador for God's kingdom? If you are sitting here tonight as a Christian and are feeling ashamed by the gospel and are lacking the confidence to be a good ambassador, and let me encourage you, turn your eyes back to the gospel. See, the gospel is great news. It is freedom to the captive soul. It is a source of joy to the brokenhearted. And it is a place of rest for the weary. Intentionally search out your feelings and evaluate how the gospel makes you feel. For it should move you to confidence and to joy not to shame. Now that we've looked at why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, let us look to our second point for this evening, how we fight against shame of the gospel. Pick up with me again in verses 13 and 14. Paul continues, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. When we understand why we must strive for confidence in the gospel and fight against any shame that we might feel, our next question we should be asking is how do we fight against this shame? How do we stop it from appearing and how do we gain and grow in confidence? Paul answers this question by giving us two practical pieces of advice for fighting against shame. Those two things are to follow the pattern of sound words and to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. To simplify these two pieces of advice, in order to have confidence in the gospel, we must first know the gospel confidently. For Timothy, this pattern of sound words that Paul is talking about is the very teaching that has been passed down to Timothy throughout Paul and his time together. Timothy has been mentored by Paul and has been receiving lesson after lesson from the apostle on how to live a Christian life for the glory of God. Paul has set and established a pattern for Timothy on what he is supposed to imitate not deviating from any of the apostolic teaching that he has received. And you know, while it was great that Timothy was mentored by an apostle, we don't have that luxury. You see, the, the term, the apostolic title was only reserved for a select few people in the first century who were personally commissioned by Jesus himself. So then what is our modern equivalent in what ways are we to dedicate ourselves in order to follow the pattern of sound teaching and grow in our confidence for the gospel? Well, for us, I want to present to us tonight that there is a primary and a secondary source that we should be going to in order to follow the pattern of sound words. 
the primary source is pretty simply this. It's the Bible. The 66 books of the Old and New Testaments make up what we know as God's word. Our God used the Holy Spirit in order to inspire the authors and guide them to write each individual book over hundreds of years. The Holy Spirit then worked to preserve the text and original meaning of the scriptures throughout different copies and translations so that we as God's people right now can be confident that the Bibles that we have are the original meaning of God's word as it was first written. The Bible then for us is an exhaustive and it is exhaustive to us in helping to understand the pattern of sound words. As we will see when we study chapter three of 2 Timothy, that the Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness because it is breathed out by our God. We then might not have an apostle to teach us face to face, but we have the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, as well as God prophets, as God's prophets and servants in the Old Testament giving to us the sound words that we need, the pattern that we should follow in order to grow in confidence in the gospel and triumph over any shame that we might feel. The Bible should be our primary source for understanding the pattern of sound words that is, as it is given to us by God himself, which we know then that the Bible is the textbook definition of sound words. The secondary source that I want to present to you that we should be going to for this pattern of sound words is Christian preachers and teachers. You see, in preaching and teaching, we are following the model that Paul and Timothy established as Timothy imitated Paul, as Paul imitated Christ Paul would explain the meaning of the scriptures to Timothy as well as Christ's teachings and create application, encouraging Timothy as a result. The same is true then for good Christian teaching as the goal should be to easily explain the meaning of God's word with an encouragement to do the work that God has called us to. But there is a reason that I say that Christian teachers should be the secondary source There are a lot of preachers and teachers out there who claim to be faithful to the scriptures, but will either add or subtract to the gospel. Preachers and teachers are also known to make mistakes because they are human, because they are fallible. So they are secondary in the sense that they are only effective and helpful when they are committed to faithfully teaching the Bible. The teacher can only teach the pattern of sound words themselves when they are following the pattern established in the apostolic teaching found here in our scripture. And this as well is where Paul encourages us to use the power of the Holy Spirit to guard the deposit that has been entrusted to us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, We are given discernment to read over the Bible in a faithful manner and to determine whether teachers we are listening to value the gospel or if they are ashamed by it. With the Spirit's power, we can look at the impression that Christian teachers leave upon our own souls 
and judge from there if it is giving us confidence in the gospel and sanctifying our souls like it should be. You see, in every and any situation, the gospel stands as the best news that a person could ever receive or ever hear. Even hearing it for the millionth time, the gospel should produce joy beyond all measure. Therefore, we should seek to grow in our understanding of the gospel by studying God's word and trying to follow the pattern of sound words. In our deep understanding, any shame that we may wrongfully feel will start to fade away as we start to grow. As you start to understand the amazing grace and the endless mercy that is given to us in Christ, then your soul should be moved to joy, hope, and confidence above everything else. The greater you understand God's grace, the greater you will understand your own sin, and the greater you will understand the gospel's beauty. So contemplate the goodness of the gospel through studying scripture and let your contemplation of this good news move you to confidence, not shame. And finally, let us look at a, an example of shame conquered, which we see in verses 15 through 18. Paul continues writing and says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the, to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul finishes this section of the letter by giving us examples of those who have conquered shame and those who have fallen victim to it. The first group that we see are those who were ashamed of the gospel and deserted him while he was in Asia. Two people from this group are specifically named most likely because Timothy would have known who Vigelis and Hermogenes were. While we don't really understand the nature of what, this, what their desertion of Paul was like, we can infer from the context that we see here in 2 Timothy that it was most likely something personal and not doctrinal. You see, these men aren't called heretics like Hymenaeus and Philetus are later in chapter 2 of this book, but they still failed to honor God because they continued to carry their shame and abandoned the Apostle Paul. But while these men had abandoned Paul and left him hurt, one man does stand in contrast to the rest. Onesiphorus remained by Paul's side in the midst of his imprisonment and tried to encourage his brother in chains. While others deserted Paul because of his reputation and because of their own shame, Onesiphorus stayed by Paul's side and would act as refreshment for the apostle. Even when Paul was in prison in Rome, Onesiphorus hastily sought out his brother to support him in the midst of his imprisonment. Onesiphorus felt no shame for the gospel and his actions displayed confidence in this good news. You see, in my introduction for our study this evening, 
I talked about Irina Sendler and how her convictions motivated her actions. She held the conviction that no person should be treated as the Jews were being treated in World War II, and she sprung into action, saving thousands of lives in the process. For Onesiphorus, his belief in the good news of the gospel moved him to take action and care for the Apostle Paul. He was motivated by his love for the Lord. He was motivated to share the love that he has experienced from God with other people. And in this letter, Paul prays and asks that Onesiphorus will be rewarded as a result of his work. You see, when we hold the belief with a firm grip that the gospel is the best news that any person could ever hear, then our actions in life will match this conviction. Instead of being embarrassed to share the gospel with someone we know, we will be more eager to have those conversations and pray to the Lord that the gospel will take root in their heart. We will want them to experience the same joy and peace that we have been given in Christ. Our nervousness about having these spiritual conversations will melt away because our confidence in the gospel will triumph over any shame we might feel. Holding firm to the belief that the gospel is the best news will move us to live a life that glorifies God with everything we do. So as you head into your next week, I want you to ask yourself this question every day. Just ask yourself, how has my identity in Christ and love for the gospel shaped my day? How has it affected the conversations that you're having with your coworkers or with the cashier at the till at Tesco? How has your love for the gospel affected your attitude towards reading God's word and spending time in prayer? How has your love for the gospel affected how you are fighting against temptation and stomping out sin? How has your love for the gospel motivated you to share the gospel with those around you? No matter what situation you may find yourself in this next week, love of the gospel should affect us and drive our actions in every situation. There may be times in our lives where shame will take over like it did for Phygelus and Hermogenes and we choose to embrace ourselves instead of embracing the gospel that has been given to us. But when that happens, we must turn back to the gospel which has already offered to us forgiveness from all of our sins. The debt of sin that we might feel has already been paid for by our Savior, Jesus. Therefore, even when we fall short, we can continue working in confidence for the gospel, for it has already worked in our own individual lives. So church, my encouragement for you this evening, do not be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel should motivate us to reach the world with this good news. For we know that our God has saved us and called us to this work. Dedicate yourselves to cultivating confidence in the gospel message. 
and then go into the world driven by this conviction that the gospel is the best news that humanity has ever received and share the gospel with other people. You see, your sins have been forgiven. Your God has called you and your God is with you. So head into the world with confidence in the gospel that has saved you and share it with everyone who will listen. Amen. Let's pray.